series. This is uh, number five in the series. Uh, I want to talk fast, but I think I need to slow down uh, because I only have just a few minutes. But uh, we're talking about better together, and we're talking about uh, just things that will make us better as a local church. In fact, this is not in my notes, guys, that are uh, doing the visual thing. First Timothy three 14, I'm writing these things to you, Paul said. Now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of truth. So how many know there are rules that apply here, and then there's the way our culture lives? How many know we're different? Jesus said we're salt, we're light. And the New Testament says we're pilgrims, we're on a journey, uh, we're citizens of another kingdom. So we have, we have other, other things that we obey. We have a lifestyle that we exude that is different from those around us. So we're talking about better together in a time of great individualism. God wants us to become conscious that we're a body of believers. We should work together, and that's cross grain again of the atmosphere of our day. The questions we have for ourselves are we willing to work as a body of believers together? Are we willing for the sake of our spiritual life to deny ourselves, commit to a family in a local church, and become involved in helping, not just coming to sit and consume? I mean, he would say, yes, I'm willing to do more than that, right? So, uh, you know, as we go through this process, there are things that we don't like about each other, don't agree with about uh, any church you go in. There's, there's things that you'll like, things you'll dislike, people you'll like, people you'd rather not be around. But how many know you need those that you'd rather not be around because they have that sandpaper ministry and they help hone the edges off of your life? Yes or no? So there's uh, several things we've talked about through this process of uh, the last four lessons. Uh, we've talked about the fact that God is body conscious. Well, together we create an atmosphere. When we get together, we create an atmosphere in the room we're in. The presence of God only inhabits what we give him. Is that true? So uh, we talked and we sang about that tonight. Don't let yourself be used as a cancer cell. A cancer cell is a cell in the human body that turn against, turns against the other cells and wrecks havoc. Don't be one of those. We talked about that a little bit. The way we treat others is the way we treat Jesus himself. Uh, then we mentioned think, act, and speak. Unity, allow love to help you overlook the faults and misdeeds of others. And then we talked about being careful about personal bitter root judgments. And we talked about these in detail. They're online. If you weren't here, go back and listen to those and you can catch up. Last time, that was two weeks ago, I uh, started uh, talking about uh, how powerful our words are and the fact that we need to watch what we say. How many know the most powerful force in your life are your words? You never live beyond your words. You never, you never believe beyond your words. And words can heal or words can defame and harm. And I love Isaiah 50. It's not in my notes. Isaiah 50 verse 4 where Isaiah said that Lord God's given me the tongue of the learned that I may know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. I've prayed that prayer for decades in my own life now. Lord, give me the tongue of the learned. Help me to be, my tongue to be a source of blessing and not a, course, a source of harm and heartache for others. So we've talked about that last time. We talked about a big problem today, frankly, and I think it uh, has a lot to do with social media and the anonymity social media provides. It pl provides a great forum for the flesh to do what it wants to do, and it provides a great forum for slander and gossip, and that is rising in our culture. People are saying things that should never be said publicly. How many have seen and heard it? 
And, uh, you know, in the public life of our nation, there are things being said politically. I don't care if you agree or disagree with an opponent. We can at least be nice to each other. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself will not stand. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And, you know, the enemy may, may know he, has, he can't wrestle with the power of God. But if he can come inside of us and create disunity, he can hinder us uh, as, as an individual, as a family, as a church, as a nation. And, boy, I mean, you see some pretty tough things going on today. And how many know we have the antidote for all of that on the inside of us? And we need to show the world how we can walk in love and get along with each other. How uh, many agree with that? So last time we talked about gossip, we talked about words, how important words are. actually read from a book that I have in my library. I've had it since the late 1970s, Signpost on the Road to Success. We ended with that two weeks ago. Today I want to give you a little lesson, um, and I'm going to turn this seemingly negative into a positive, but I want to show you the the source of gossip and slander and, and the truth is, God has had to deal with this in his kingdom uh, since before the creation of the earth. And it's something that constantly comes. It comes and goes in cycles. And we as the body of Christ need to be aware, forewarned is forearmed. How many agree? And so I want to give, show you the source of slander or gossip. The word slander by definition, um, according to Mr. Webster, the oral utterance or spreading of a falsehood harmful to another's reputation or a malicious, false, and defamatory statement or report, a slander against a person's good name. I can't, it's hard for me to even envision the fact that today you can, you can listen to something and people have no problem saying something that they know is absolutely not true just to up their position and up the ante. How many know that's fundamentally sin? And so this is in our culture constantly. And again, if you go through the history of the church age, whatever affects a culture, somebody's going to let it in the church. And the reason I'm mentioning these things is so that we can be aware and stand against these kinds of things. God's called us to live on a higher level than this. He's called us to walk in love. He's called us to walk in the spirit. He's called us to do good. He spoke, called us to speak kindness to others when they defame and hinder. How many believe that? So I want to talk to you uh, just for a few minutes here uh, about how all this began. Ezekiel 28, there is the law of double reference. That is, there was the prince of Tyre mentioned in the first few verses of Ezekiel 28. And that was a, 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 a prince a ruler of a particular locale in the Middle East, and, uh, uh, and he had some problems, and Ezekiel talked about that. And then while Ezekiel was talking, the Spirit of God came on him, and he began to talk to someone behind the prince of Tyre. The king of Tyre is referenced. The Bible calls that the law of double reference. That is, there's a human person Behind the human person, there is a spiritual force at work. And in this passage of Scripture is, is one of the only places in the Bible we understand the origin of our enemy, Satan. And it's very interesting when you look at his origin. So let's read just for a few minutes here. Um, uh, starting with verse 11, Ezekiel 28, New King James. And moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were uh, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. 
You're in Eden, the garden of God. And so he's talking not about a human. He's called that law of double restlessness. He's looking behind the scenes into the spiritual realm. And Bible scholars agree he's talking about Satan. His name was Lucifer. It means bright one. And he's talking about his origin. And he says you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. This uh, uh, Lucifer, Satan, as we refer to him today, uh, when he was uh, when when he originated uh, from God's hand, was the most perfect being God had ever created to that day. And it goes on to say, "You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering: the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jas- uh, jasper, sapphire, tur- turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your temples and pipes." was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, Bible scholars say that's a reference. There was some kind of a musical ability in this being called Lucifer. And many believe that perhaps he, we don't really know, perhaps he even led the worship of heaven and led the angels in worshiping God and hence the reference to the timbrels and the pipes within him. It's uncanny today that Satan loves music. And he loves the beat that gets the flesh moving and stirs up the wrong passions in the human. Well, he started it in heaven, perhaps even leading the worship before the throne of God. Then it says, you were the anointed cherub who covers. So he was a designation of uh, angelic beings that covered or protected the throne of God. So not only did he perhaps lead worship in heaven, but he also perhaps had something to do with protection of the throne of God. I mean, just, just keeping a watch on everything that's going on. And so he had a position of responsibility, a position of esteem, a position that was seen by the other angels in heaven. Then it goes on to say, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways. from The day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Perhaps some people even believe that God gave him a a little bit of a creative ability and he created iniquity. Where did sin start? In the heart of Lucifer. That's really an uncanny thought. We can't develop it much because of time tonight. Then it goes on to say, till iniquity was found in you. Then it says this, and this is unusual. And you got to understand the wordage here. It says, by the abundance of... Of your trading, you became filled with violence within. Now, that's vague to us. We don't even know what that's saying, but you will in a minute. And he goes, says, and you sin, therefore I cast you out as profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. That word's used a second time. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. So this is uh, uh, prophetically uh, Ezekiel talking about Satan's fall. Jesus, in the book of Luke chapter 10, he said, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Satan fell from heaven to the earth and corrupted the beautiful earth that God had created. Why was Satan kicked out of heaven not to be let in in the same way again? Job 2, he came before God 
and again accusing uh, God's man Job, but nonetheless could never go back to heaven in the same sense that he lived there in the past. What caused God to kick him out of heaven? And uh, the key there is understanding uh, this, this, um, this word trading by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence and you sinned. And then verse 18, by the iniquity of your trading, that Hebrew word there for trading uh, is where we would get the English word uh, merchandising. Literally, the Hebrew says to walk to and fro, to walk back and forth. That is, there was something that he was carrying and there was something he was doing with others and he was going from one to another doing that. The New King James calls it trading. Uh, again, I think the uh, King James calls it trafficking or merchandising. Other translations may use different words. But it's the Hebrew word rekulet and it means trafficking. You're going from one person to another. This is uh, Dake's annotated reference Bible. Genesis Finnings Dake annotated the entire Bible, put notes beside each verse and he said this, of this word, it refers to Lucifer's walking up and down, slandering God to his own subjects on earth and to God's subjects among the angels until he had all his earthly subjects rebelling against the creator. <coughs> Excuse me, as well as over one-third of the angels. Whatever it was, it's clear that the behavior resulted in violence. Lucifer sinned and broke with God. So, so you imagine, look at this. So you think heaven was a wonderful place. It was. But iniquity was found in the heart of the most beautiful creator creation up to that point that God had created. And he created iniquity, Lucifer did. And he used that against God. And we get some idea of what Satan was trafficking. If you go to Isaiah 14, the prophet Isaiah, Holy Spirit came on him, gave him some insight into Satan's fall. We have very little in scripture about it. But Isaiah 14, two, just several, a couple of verses here, 12 through 14. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation, on the farthest sides of the north. That's obviously where God's throne is. I will ascend above the, ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. So what happened with Satan was... He was lifted up in pride because of his beauty. And he got the idea that, that he could do better than God in running the universe, running heaven, operating the kingdom of God perhaps. And that he began to go angel to angel. We don't know how many angels there are. There are a lot. But he went angel to angel and probably perhaps said something like, hey, what do you think about the kingdom of God these days? How do you think God's doing? You think it could be done better? You think somebody else could do a better job, job than God? You know what I think? I think if I was given a chance, I could, I could do this differently. I could do that differently. I think we can make that a little bit better. I think we can make that a little bit better. You know what? If you'll get behind me, let's make this thing happen. And he went from angel to angel. Revelation 12 verse 4, uh, Bible scholars believe that perhaps as many as one-third of the angels rebelled against God. Why did they rebel? Because a negative word was spoken into their thought processes, whatever kind of thought processes angels have. And they were convinced through slander that someone was better than God. And think of, I guess angels are eternal, but something was so strong that was said to them that actually 
deluded them. And delusionally they believed that they could outsmart God and do better than God. And that this being could overthrow the throne of God. God God caught wind of it. And a third of them were kicked out of heaven along with Satan. And uh, it's a terrible thing. How many know once a person says a negative thing to you about someone else, it's really hard to get it out of your mind, isn't it? You ever had that happen? You ever had somebody come up to you and say, what do you think about so-and-so? Did you know they were doing so-and-so? You know, if you listen to that kind of stuff, it's hard to get it out of your mind. It taints the character of the person that's being spoken about. And how many know, if you're going to get over that, you have to mentally work really hard to get over it. Yes or no? That's why slander is one of the worst things. Gossip, slander, it all goes together. One of the worst things that we could ever allow ourselves to be involved in. So, you know, it's something that we, are, we have to deal with. I would say on a regular basis, all of us have invitations from others outside the walls of this building. And you know what? Sometimes within the walls of this building, because whatever affects our culture will come into any local church. Is that true or false? And you got to make a decision on what you're going to do with that. Well, God immediately shows us what he thinks about it. The people that were involved in this were kicked out of heaven uh, because it, it brought great, great harm. There are a couple of passages of Scripture. I've got to do this fairly quickly, but, you know, uh, I'm going to do this. Turn over to Numbers chapter 12. This is not in the notes. I want to give you an, an idea of what God thinks about gossip and slander. How many know you may not agree with someone? You may not agree with our president. You may not agree with politicians. You may not agree with the pastor. You may not agree with the, uh, the organization that you work with, but that doesn't give you the right to downmouth them. Yes or no? No. Now, we think it does in our culture. This is why America is in such peril now because there's certain rules that apply to all of us at all times. We have to be respectful of the, of the freedom that God has given all of us to think, make choices, make decisions, and live life. And just because somebody doesn't think and make the same kinds of choices that me and you make doesn't give us the right to deride them and to slur their character. Yes or no? Now, now that is demonic when that begins to happen. And I want to submit to you, there's a lot of demonic going on today that we as believers need to resist. How many agree? So this happened all the way back in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, listen to this. Um, I thought I wrote this scripture down. But in First Thessalonians, in First Corinthians chapter uh, 10, I thought I wrote this down and I didn't. So, but let me go to my hard copy Bible before I even read this reference. I'm reading this because of this verse right here in First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our warning or admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. And he's actually talking about some of the things we're going to talk about right now in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So uh, many of the Old Testament stories, like Sunday I talked about Jacob and his family and the dysfunction they had, the problems they had, and the fact that God followed Jacob all of his life. Well, you know what? The Israelites had lots of problems and, uh, and we can learn from the things that happened in them. So in Numbers chapter 12, Miriam, listen, just listen. This, this is really odd. Miriam and Aaron um, uh, slandered Moses, said some things uh, about Moses in his absence that literally should have never been said. 
And in Numbers 12, I'll just read the first few perhaps. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian Cushite woman he had married. Uh, Moses is olive skin. The Cushite's a black woman. They got upset because he married somebody from another race. And they said something behind Moses' back. And uh, for he had married the Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. How many know when you're talking about someone and saying things that should not be said about them, other people are maybe listening, but how many know God hears? And the key here is when you talk about leaders, spiritual leadership, and you talk about them behind their back, you think it's innocuous. You can say what you want to say behind closed doors. You think nobody's listening, but God's listening. And spiritual principles go into play. Ecclesiastes 8, 11 says, because the sentence against an, uh, a bad thing uh, isn't carried out immediately, the, the hearts of the sons of men is, are fully, is fully set to do evil. And so because, because, you know, the sentence isn't carried out, because we don't immediately have judgment when we do something wrong, sometimes we get the idea that what we do is okay, and that's what they thought, but it wasn't. The Lord heard what they were saying. It doesn't say how long they had been upset with Moses, but they didn't go to him. They talked among themselves. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, Miriam, come out. Uh, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting, they came out. And then God came down in the cloud and he spoke and he avowed Moses' authority, position and responsibility, whether they agreed with the marriage he had or not. He was God's man and God placed him there and God got so upset with him that Miriam became leprous. Uh, The rest of the story, Moses prayed for her. She was healed and she had to be separated because she had leprosy for a few days. But it's a, a poignant point that we need to be careful what we say uh, about others in general, but particularly those in positions of leadership. How many hear that? And, and I can just tell you, we have golden opportunities to disagree on a regular basis. When I was reading this, I was reminded in 1993, I pastored a church for a guy. And I've, you've heard my story before, but before I came here for one year, I pastored a guy's church who took his entire family from South Carolina to Leopaya, Latvia, and they started a church in that, in that, um, that seaport coast town uh, and, and got a bunch of people saved, and that was a missions endeavor for that church. I pastored his church for him. Before I ever did that, 1992, I started attending that church. I'm sitting on the back row, and I'm disdaining the way the pastor spoke the way he organized his church, the way his praise and worship leader led worship, the way the ushers ushered, the way the greeters greeted, the way they parked cars, the way they did children's ministry. Inside, I didn't say anything to Susan. I didn't say anything to anybody. But man, inside of me, I was going, this guy's kook, man. This guy's crazy. This guy don't know what he's doing. And you know, while I was internalizing that, it never came out of my mouth. It could have, but it didn't. The Lord said to me, Mitch. I said, huh? Who are you? that you speak against another man's servant to me, and he called the pastor's name, he rises or falls. Who are you to judge him? I'm pretty stupid to judge him. That's what I said. I said, I repent. And you know, I repented. And I said, God, I'm sorry. You know, and it really broke my heart that I had enough flesh in me to actually think that way. 
And it reminded me of all the times I'd been in various local churches. And, you know, I've cut my teeth, you know, and on church, uh, on, after Bible school, I've been in various phases of staff ministry and such. And, and God's always placed me somewhere that I didn't always agree with the senior pastor. But I learned that even that if I don't disagree, I need to flow and I need to love and I need to support. How many hear me? Because that's the right way. Well, she did it the wrong way. She got terribly, terribly judged. Number 16, I don't have a lot of time to go through this. I encourage you when you get home tonight, read uh, number 16. This is a man named Korah. He was a Levite. He was of the priestly tribe. He wasn't the high priest, but Korah did the same thing in a similar way that Miriam did. Uh, number 16, one, Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan uh, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Pelah, the sons of Reuben, took men. So he got a group of guys, a gang of guys together with him, and they rose up before Moses with some of the children of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, congregation representatives of the congregation, men of renown. Look at what these guys did. They gathered together against Moses, Aaron said to them, you take too much upon yourselves for all the congregations holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? So they basically said, Moses, you're nobody special. You think you're somebody special. You've placed yourself above everybody. You know better than me. You put your britches on the way I do every day. You drink your cup of coffee the way I do. You go have to go out in the bush and use the bathroom the way I do. You know better than me. And he told all of his friends. Not only that, he went to two, not just 250 people. He went to 250 leaders in the tribes of Israel and said, you know, Moses isn't so great. I can do what he's doing. We all can do what he's doing. God's not really speaking to him. This is a man of pride. This is a man of arrogance. And he doesn't know what he's doing. We can do it better. Let's show him so. And he rose up against Moses, not only him, but y'all, his, his circle of friends. And then it spread to 250 people. Wow. Tough. Moses' response shows his heart. A true leader will not attack when people say things they shouldn't say. Moses hit the ground. He said, God, oh God, oh God, what do I do? And then they didn't back down and they were very arrogant. And Moses said, priests, don't you accept their sacrifices. Stand away from these people. If you go through the rest of this story, you know what happened? God said, stand away, stand away from Korah, his family, all of his friends, these 250 men and their families. He said, get them all together and let them offer fire before the Lord and see if God offers their sacrifices. And God said, none of the Israelites, don't you get near these people. Let them be, don't even get close to them, stand afar off. And Moses said, you know, God, if they die the death of a normal man, you've not called me. But if, they, if something happened that's never happened in, in our lifetime or in the world, perhaps, then the people will know that you've called me. No sooner had he spoken, literally, the ground opened up. It was a great earthquake, probably, and they fell straight down into the crevices. 
And the men, not only the men, but their wives and children perished as well. What a somber note. What a somber lesson for us in the New Testament era that we need to be very careful about what we say about anybody, especially leadership. I, I tell you, whether you, you know, whether you like Donald Trump or not, I cannot believe things people are saying publicly about him. I would never do that. Whether you like him or lump him, I wouldn't do that because God told us to pray for those in authority and respect them. There is a demonic force at work in the United States of America that is pitting one person against another and seemingly giving individuals authority, pseudo-authority, to say things that should never be said. How many hear me? Now, let me balance this out. Well, Pastor, you just talked about spiritual leadership, church leadership. You're, meaning, you're telling me that we should never disagree with Pastor. I never said that. I said we don't need to slander people and say things that aren't true or say things in a vindictive way or in a hurtful way that, that breed uh, disunity. How many hear me? How many know leaders need input from other people? I personally, as a pastor, I welcome people that disagree with me, the vision, direction of our church. I welcome anybody to come and talk to me. I think that's a great thing. I love dialogue. And you know what? I've learned to really welcome people that disagree with the way that I enter into ministry. I want to hear what they're saying. Because if I can better myself through the opinion of someone else, I need to do that. And if I'm really smart in a multitude of counselors, there's wisdom, there's safety. How many know it's true? So for me, I, I think it's right to listen to others. But there's a right place to do that. No one should ever bash an organization or its leader in front of everyone else. And that's what we're doing in America today. What they did, should do is go to the leader, the leadership team, whatever it is, whether it's a church, whether it's an organization, whether it's a business or even a family. Go to them individually, have honest conversations have dialogue, point out the disagreements, the differences. How many know if you're securing yourself, you can handle that? And leaders need to learn how to listen that way. But if you do it in front of everybody, might, it might eventually bring the kind of, of spiritual chastisement that came upon Miriam, that came upon Korah and his family. And that's a, a warning to all of us. So again, uh, pointing out differences and different disagreements in front of others is what these guys were involved in. That's what Satan did, got him kicked out of heaven. How many know we need to steer clear of that kind of behavior? How many agree with that? So if you're watching and you're part of another church or another organization, you're involved in a large organization that you work for and people are doing these kinds of things, my encouragement, steer clear of that. How many know we need to pray for those that we don't agree with? You know, the things that have helped me the most in my life throughout my spiritual walk with Jesus these almost 42 years is God placing me in places that I was uncomfortable, I disagreed with, I didn't understand why the leadership were doing what they're doing because I'm not sitting on their saddle. I'm not seeing what they're seeing. I'm seeing things from my vantage point. And how many know everybody's got an opinion? There's my opinion, your opinion, everybody's opinion, and then there's the right opinion. Is that true? So, you know, we just need to keep all that uh, in, in thought. And I want to end this with First Thessalonians because this talks to us about how we should treat others, particularly 
leaders. Let's talk spiritually about the local church. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are leaders in the Lord's work. Uh, they work hard among you and give spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live, live peaceably with each other. Two other verses along the same line in Hebrews 13 uh, 1 verse 7, then verse 17. Remember your leaders, verse 7 says, who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that's come from their lives. Follow the example of their faith. Then verse 17 says, obey your spiritual leaders. Do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they're accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. We're living in an age now that people don't, they haven't been taught and don't understand, particularly the younger generation. That, that we need to respect those who are over us in the Lord, to esteem them for what God has called them to do, and we need to pray for each other. And then on the heels of that, I would add, you know, if you disagree with any leadership, let's talk about Victory Church. If you come here and you disagree with the leaders, with our staff team, with me, you know what? I would love for you to email me and say, can we get together and talk? Because I would love to see you face-to-face and just have a conversation. If you knew me well, you would find out that I would sit back and say, how can I help you and what's on your heart? And, and if you started out, well, there's some things that bother me and trouble me. I don't understand this and that. I would just let you talk. I would just let you talk as long as you needed to talk to get it out. And then I would give my point of view and I would share, well, we're doing this because of this, this because of this, this because of this. And then you'd have a decision to make. Do you agree with that? Can you flow with that? Can you go with that? Often God will have you go and, and be with people that you uh, flow with well, but you may not agree with everything they do. And you know it takes spiritual growth and maturity to be with people that you don't completely agree with all the time. How many hear what I'm saying? That's why you find out as you grow up as a child into a, you know, adolescence and adulthood, you get put in all kinds of situations because it's good for you. Let me ask you some questions. If Satan spread gossip and slander in heaven, and was cast down from there to earth. Who do you think is behind gossip and slander today? Who's behind it? Is the Holy Spirit behind it? Is the Holy Spirit motivating anybody that uses their words to talk down about any other person? Is the Holy Spirit ever in that? Should we ever yield to that? What happens if we do? What do we do? We sin. Yeah. So what do you do? I'm ending now. I've got a lot of scripture here. I'm going to uh, skip over all of it. Um, so what do you do when somebody comes up to you, like Lucifer came up to the angels, like Miriam, you know, came to Aaron and perhaps others about Moses, and, and Korah went to his little group of friends, and then 200. What do you do when people come to you? And, and often they may use the phrase, now, now what? What do you think about so-and-so? What do you think about what pastor's doing? Or maybe it's in your business. What do you think about what the CEO, that, that mandate they just sent down for all of us to, what do you think about that? What are you going to do about that? And then you give your, uh, what if that person gives their opinion? You know what? If you choose to listen to that, you are as wrong as the person saying it. Big. Wow. That didn't go over good at all. Can I say that again? If you choose to listen to gossip slash slander, you're as guilty as the person saying it. So what should our response be if someone comes to, up to us on our job, 
our church life, or, or just among our circle of friends, and says something about someone else. Two responses I encourage. Number one, number one, you know what? Can we stop? Can we pray for so-and-so? I mean, I've stopped people and say, right mid can we, let's pray for them. And my, I may mention Isaiah 50, the Lord's given me the tongue of the learned, that he may give me, show me uh, how to speak a word in season to him this way. Let's pray for so-and-so. How many know it's hard to deride someone you're praying for? And believing for God to work something out of our life. So I literally pray. Or secondly, and sometimes I do that and say, you know what? If you've got a beef with so-and-so, you know what? You need to go to them. And you need to talk to them. But you, we shouldn't be talking among ourselves about something that we know only perhaps half-truths or no truths about. We only have our opinions. Go to them. How many know that's a healthy way to deal with it? So how many would be willing? How many would be willing to guard your ears and guard your mouth you know, I would say in the size crowd, we've got smaller guys because of the rain and stuff tonight. But those watching online as well, perhaps you have been a potty mouth. Perhaps you've been a person that spreads slander, gossip. Perhaps you've had potty ears. You've allowed yourself to listen to things that really, you really shouldn't have listened to. Just be aware of the scriptures. Be aware of what happened to Lucifer. Be, be aware of what happened to Miriam. Be aware of what happened to Korah. You know, uh, begin, again, we live in the age of grace. We live in, the, in, this, in this era of grace where the grace of God gives us opportunity to repent. But you know, sometimes we go down a road and you can go so far down a particular road that you have a hard time getting off of that road. And eventually, difficult, challenging things happen because of the choices and decisions we've made. How many know that's true? So how many tonight would like to avow and affirm with me and let's make a commitment to have pure ears, a pure heart, and pure words.